Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 50. Paul, can you believe that we have been doing the Gospels for almost a year now? (laughs) I can't. It seems like we just got started. I know. The time and the scriptures have flown by. Yeah. Um, But last week, lots of crazy things happened in the story of the Gospels with Jesus. Uh, Jesus sent the legion of demons into a quote-unquote legion of pigs Fell off the cliff. Uh, Very shocking. We tried to put our minds and our lives into that picture of seeing a a sight as dramatic as that is happening. And then Jesus sent that Gentile man that had been possessed back into his pagan hometown to sort of tell his story, his testimony, even though that the man wanted to go with Jesus and his disciples with what was going on in the Holy Land and you know, the Galilee, Israel, Jerusalem, all that. So it's yeah. very interesting that Jesus kind of showcased that the man had everything he needed in terms of his story to be of impact uh, to his community. Yeah. And then he and his disciples went back across the sea, and then they bumped into this ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. His daughter was very, very sick to the point of death. He wanted Jesus to come and heal her, and so he agreed, and in the midst of that, a woman with a severe long-term discharge of blood, like amongst all cultural and ritual uncleanliness and taboo, she risked being out in the midst of the crowds to try to see this Jesus, and even to just touch his tzitzit, the fringes of his prayer shawl, uh, in order to be healed. And she did that, and she was instantly healed. Um, And then we left off on a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, we did kind of interrupt her story, but in looking back, it's not so bad, because at least she got healed before we quit the episode. So that was a good thing. But now we got to see what happened. So uh, let's move to uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 30 to 34, and Luke chapter 8, verses 45 to 48. And I'm actually going to read from Luke but I'm still going to come back and sneak a little bit out of Mark. So uh, let's read there, Luke eight forty five. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Uh, Now, I want to add this other part, though, from Mark before I start talking about this. So in Mark, uh, I'm just going to read verses 31 and 32 because it's a slightly different way of seeing it. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? 
and he looked around to see who had done it. Okay, so here's Jesus, right? He's walking along. He's supposed to be headed to Jairus' house to heal the girl. There's this crowd. It's pressing in all around him. And he stops all of a sudden. And he's, you know, who touched my garment, right? Now, you got to admit, we get the context, and I read extra stuff so you could see it. I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a silly question, right, Samuel? Yeah, I mean, people play the God card like, well, isn't he God? Shouldn't he already know? Yeah, good point. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit more. Now, one thing, though, if, if we were looking at the Greek and we actually had any clue of what we were talking about, we might see that in the Greek, the text actually seems to suggest more of an intentional touch. So there's, there's a little bit of a distinguishing there, right? It's not just somebody bumped into me. It's, no, somebody reached out and touched me on purpose. Kind of interesting. But still, you're in the middle of a pressing crowd. And, and I mean, does that really change anything? You want to know who intentionally touched you. And then, if we could be serious for a moment, out of everybody there, Samuel... Who is most likely to know who touched Jesus? I mean, same guy that we've seen be able to perceive other people's thoughts without them actually audibly saying them, Jesus. Yeah, the one guy who ought to know is the guy asking the question, right? But that's really important to see. You just said it. People want to play the God card. Well, he was God, so of course he knew. Okay, but look at this. Jesus doesn't know who touched him. He doesn't know. And so, I mean, we could say, if we were playing off a movie, Jesus seems to have underestimated the sneakiness of this woman. (laughs) But he's looking around. Our very human Jesus doesn't know everything all the time. Now, are we diminishing his divinity, Samuel? Nope. Are we saying that he's not God? Nope. No, but he's walking around as a very human person. And it's important that that is the image in our head. Now, just to not intentionally play devil's advocate, but I'm just thinking about the rabbinic system and how rabbis try to teach things to other people. Is there Could there be a potential that this is like a rabbinic tool, like... He was giving the woman an opportunity to come forward if there was some understanding within his conscious that it, like that he knew it was her. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, all we have is a text. And so, right, I mean, part of, part of what we should be doing is examining possibilities like that. Maybe he did know, but maybe he was playing dumb because he, he wanted to make a point to her. Very, very possible. But I don't know. Who knows? And then, uh, uh, Samuel, uh, think about this. And you mentioned a little bit in your intro. So did, did this make Jesus unclean? Now, I mentioned before, you know what? There are a lot of people that argue about this. And, you know, they're smart people and they've got good reasoning, whatever. We're going to go with, you know what, it's, it's, it's actually pretty likely that, that this woman, having touched him, 
uh, certainly, you know, the, the fringes, whatever, it's likely that it made him unclean. But, Samuel, has Jesus appeared very concerned about that before? No, he touched the, uh, the guy with, was it leprosy? Yeah, well, yeah, he's, and the dead guy, and, <laughs> well, no, I think that, didn't he just touch the, the funeral beer at that point? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, he's done it. He doesn't seem to care, and I'm sure he's not concerned now, because what is he, compa- what is he concerned about more than his own personal ritual purity? Uh, I'm thinking about that Micah verse, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Yeah, he cares about the people. It's all about mercy and compassion. And, uh, okay, now remember, this, this story about the woman is interrupting the story about who? Uh, Jairus and his daughter. Yeah, and it, Matthew said she's already dead. The others, you know, we're, we're going to find out. By the time he gets there, she's going to be dead. So, I mean, he's not worried about ritual impurity with that either. So, in some sense, it who cares about the question, but in just, you know, it's just examining it, what's really going on here, seeing who's involved in what and, and whatever. It's good. So anyway, the thing that sets Jesus off, the thing that's important is that Jesus somehow knows that power has gone out from him. But Samuel, I want you to think about this too. Because this, it's just, it's very interesting. Here's Jesus. He's walking around with all of this power. And I'm, I'm, you know, we're presuming that this is all coming from the Holy Spirit. But if he's walking down the road and somebody touches him and power goes out and he's like, hey, what was that? What just happened? Well, does that not mean that he is not in complete control of that power? I mean, it, I wouldn't. I mean, th- that re- response doesn't seem like he, it is. I'm not sure what you just said. Are you agreeing with me or disagreeing <laughs> with me? <laughs> I was saying that his reaction that the power left from him does not seem like he is in full control of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I didn't no, get that. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's at least a possibility. It doesn't seem like he is. So then the question, well, who is? Who is in control of the power that he's walking around with that mysteriously went out of him? Is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the woman and her great faith? Or let's put it all together. Is it God through the Spirit in response to her faith? I don't know, but what an amazing picture. Again, we're not diminishing his divinity. This is a very human Jesus. We try to, we do, we try to make him out to be God in a flesh suit. And it's a, it's a bad picture to have in your head. It's a bad picture. So power's gone out of him and seemingly without his, whatever you want to call it, control, permission, something. But it all happens. And here's this woman on one hand, good for her. She's all healed now. This is great. But on the other hand, poor woman, because now as Luke says it, she now knows that she's not hidden. Here's this Jesus turning around. Who touched me? What was that? And he's looking, right? Doing all stuff. Now, the thing we don't know, okay, did he really know and he was just, you know, playing a game? Or did he not know, And that, but, but did he figure it out? Did Jesus figure it out and know that it was her? The text 
says, who was it that said that? It was, it was in Luke, uh, all denied it. So, I mean, was she denying it? Was that hyperbole that it was all? I mean, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. But maybe she, I, she's in a crowd. And would you bet that there were people that knew who she was? I mean, the numbers, right, yeah. I mean, surely she's going to get found out. Whatever it is, whatever, however it worked out, somehow she knew that she was going to have to fess up. So she comes in fear and trembling, and she falls down before him. Now there's, you know, I guess even here, there's many possible reasons for this kind of approach. Just the simple fact that that healing power, buddy, that's fearsome and awesome. That's a thing. Uh, Well, she may actually know that she would have made him unclean. And maybe she doesn't know. Is he going to be upset or not? We just talked about it saying, well, of course he's not. He's done it before. She may not know that. She certainly hadn't asked for any kind of permission. You know, Uh, maybe, maybe she'd heard enough about him and she was convinced that he was Messiah, which we know to be the king of the kingdom. Well, what other way is there to approach a king? Fear, trembling, falling down, right? So we don't know, but but she was she was showing proper or due respect and awe, which is kind of neat. But she shows courage. She probably was pretty afraid. But she shows courage. She tells everyone within earshot the whole story. Of the past 12 years, all that she's gone through, presumably, how she has now been healed just by touching the fringe of his garment. That's, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. You got to love it when people, you know what? They stand up and, and they just, they, they're bold. They, they show courage. But look at what Jesus said. I don't know if you caught this while we were reading it, Samuel. This is in Luke verse 48. He says, and he said to her, daughter... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Well, hold on a second. Is it Jesus's daughter? Uh, no. (laughs) Of course, no. (laughs) Right? It's not. So, whose daughter is she? I believe what the text is implying. I believe that what Jesus is communicating is that she is a daughter of God, right? The people of Israel were supposed to be the sons and daughters of God. But of course, if you're walking in rebellion or anything else, you're not. But he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He's calling her a daughter of God. He's, he's encouraging her with that title, with that name. I mean, that's, that's like a mic drop moment, right? It was awesome. Mm. But now, now we need to start making a couple connections. This will be one. Remember what Jesus is doing. The, the, the outer story is that Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. daughter. And in the middle of this story, we get interrupted by a story where this woman gets healed and Jesus calls her daughter as well. Daughter. This is going to be important. And so... Just little side notes here, or maybe just things to mention while we're along the way. Uh, It's another instance of healing being associated with faith. That's important. But as we've noticed along the way, 
this isn't a formula. Faith isn't always involved. Faith, uh, it's not like uh, somehow it's guaranteeing a result or something like that. But we do see that it is a common part. And the takeaway that we've been sticking with is that, you know what, it's, it's showing us it is something that we should aspire to, something that we should seek to have. We need to live and, and walk by faith, having faith. So that's a thing. But this kind of stands as the end of this whole interruption, if you want to call it that. And we're going to return to the story of Jairus's daughter and maybe see, you know, another connection or two. Is this the first time that we see Jesus calling a, a woman daughter? Is this like a principal first mention? Well, uh, you've caught me by surprise, and so I can't be certain, but kind of feeling like it is. Yeah, I don't recall any previous times, so that's that's even more powerful that this is the first time that he uses that phrase in an interaction with a local. Yeah, yeah. A number of times he's called, uh, you know, he's just said woman, right, or, or something like that. So yeah, this could very well be. So that, that's interesting too. Whew. I think she... I, I feel for that woman. That I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Something, there, there was a sweetness in that story. I like it a lot. And as powerful as it, as it is, this is, this is it with her story, right? Like, right. No more. Nope. In and out. Done. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But notice how Matthew... Now, okay, so here's the thing. We're going to kind of set this up a little bit. It may have actually all occurred exactly this way. And Matthew's just telling it the way it was. It could also be that Matthew is very smartly, slyly inserting this story in the middle of the other story because of the way they connect and and how they they sort of, uh, two are better than one, they get a better return for their labor. What what am I thinking of? Is that in Proverbs? Point is, uh, these two stories working together is going to actually tell a better story than either one would have on their own. Oh, were you thinking of in tandem? Yeah, they're working in tandem. Yeah, I like it. Well, let's see how it's working. Let's keep going. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 40, and Luke chapter 8, verses 49 to 53. Uh, you know what? We're going to go back to reading Mark. Here we go. While he was still speaking... There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Do you think he really meant for that to rhyme? (laughs) I don't think so. Sorry, verse 40. And they laughed at him. 
But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. All right, so Samuel, we've got to get our, you know, uh, cinematic vision going on in our heads. You ready? Yep. So here you got poor Jairus. Number one, he, he was watching and listening during this whole, you know, woman with an, with an issue of blood thing that was going on. And I mean, to be fair, you know, like the wonder, uh, uh, the beauty of the moment. Well, I'm sure it wasn't completely lost on him. And yet, could you blame him? He's probably pretty anxious about his daughter. And then some people from his house show up. And they tell him that his daughter has died. And they encourage him. You know what? Just don't, just don't stop bothering Jesus. There, there's no point. She did. Now, it's understandable on their part. It doesn't show a lot of great faith on their part, but you know, whatever. We don't know anything about them anyway. But this has to be an extremely difficult moment for Jairus. He waited for Jesus to return from the Decapolis. He's, he's headed back to his house thinking there's hope. And then he gets interrupted. And then before they get to the house, she dies. And there's no telling what type of emotions he might be having. And he might be experiencing anger towards the woman with the blood issues. Like if it wasn't for her, like Jesus right. would have gotten to my daughter in time. Or like he would have felt exasperated. Like I just missed it. I saw the power yeah. happen. But I I was too late. Yeah, it's, oh, it's hard to imagine what could possibly be going through this guy's head. Okay, but Jesus overhears. Interesting thing about that word. I mean, it wouldn't sound very good in the sentence, maybe, but the, the word underneath, it actually has more of a connotation that's like ignore. So it's not. At, well, okay, we can say Jesus overhears, but you could also say Jesus just ignores them. And he offers some very simple counter advice, if you want to think of it that way. Hey, don't fear. Only believe. And this isn't, you know, the I believe in Santa Claus kind of thing. It's, it's a real expectant kind of trust. It's a standing firm in what you think is is the reality here you know what what god is capable of doing why this messiah character is here and and now let's think about this right at this moment jairus gets the visitors hey your daughter's dead jesus says look don't fear you just need to believe this is exactly what jairus has witnessed in this whole little scene with the woman with an issue of blood. It all played out right before his eyes in living color. He needed a faith like hers, a belief like hers. He needed courage like hers. And so you you begin to see that this was was more than just some interruption, that this is all playing all uh, along together, right? Mm -hmm. It's working together. It's it's really kind of cool. And it's the you bring up that Greek word about it, uh, and wait, overhearing, but then you said ignoring. Yeah. Whenever I've read this passage in the past, I almost have this 
picture of Jesus responding to those who came up to the ruler's house and said, your daughter is dead, but with that Greek like underlying word of ignoring, it's almost like Jesus is kind of putting his arm around Jairus's shoulder and like, don't listen to them. Like, exactly. Like, don't listen to what they're saying. Like, what I need you to do right now is to trust that like, this is going to work out. Yeah. Be steadfast. Be faithful. Be loyal. Keep your expectant trust on the one that you know is capable, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Sam. It's so good. All right. So now the, the, the accounts between the Gospels are a little bit different, but at some point, Jesus stops the crowd, and he only allows Peter, James, and John to go with him. Now, the way Mark has it, it's like from this point forward. So they're still on the way, and Jesus stops the crowd. But Luke says it's only when they got to Jairus's house that he stopped the crowd from coming inside with them, right? Either way, what we see is that Jesus wants the moment to be a little more private. And boy, I bet you that Jairus did too. But then Jesus sees this commotion. they got people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, I don't know what image is in your head, Samuel. I only know my own. But I'm guessing that most of us, we, we probably are thinking, well, you know, these were all close family or, or friends or something, but th- these are people who are deeply affected by this tragedy, the daughter that has died. And I'm sure that there is some of that, but given the time and given the place, it's likely that there were people that were actually hired to be there. Their job was to facilitate the mourning process. They were, I guess you could call them professional, professional mourners. And it's, it's kind of a tradition. It was a thing. Now, I know it sounds weird to me. I bet it sounds weird to all of us, but it's a part of the culture. And if you think about it, isn't it better that you'd have even some weirdness like this as opposed to people just bottling everything up inside? And not really letting the, the, the grieving and the mourning follow a good and natural course? Because that'll mess you up. And that is a picture of current day society. Like, we, we don't know how to grieve properly. Right. Um, and then you even see it all through the Old Testament scriptures that, you know, when one of the patriarchs or the forefathers died, you get this like, numerical description of how long the grieving yeah proceedings lasted and like initially you you may think that it's exaggerated but i mean i think that there's some truth to that to giving yourself space uh, rather than trying to ignore it or push it away yeah there's something important and special about being able to to get that stuff out and yeah i agree with you i think we (laughs) we don't know how to do that anymore we mess it up yeah so so then jesus says this weird thing and, and okay, so what he says is the child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, number one, let's just get this clear. It's not as if these people were so backwards that they couldn't rightly discern between alive and dead. They knew she was dead. They weren't wrong. But Jesus, I, I don't know, I guess we could say he saw it differently. Or... We could say that, you know, he's, 
he's just using words that will kind of dampen the stories that are going to be told about this event, at least a bit. And I mean, to be fair, in case you're thinking, well, that would make Jesus a liar. Well, it was a super common idiom for death to say that someone was sleeping or that someone had slept, slept with their fathers. Well, that sounds weird too. Anyway, you get the idea that they were sleeping. And so He's he's making allusions to the end of the story, right? The 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 resurrection, and and I'm and by that I mean the end of this story and the end of like the whole big story. But these resurrections, like like the one that we're going to see here with this girl, I'm giving away the the end, but whatever. They're more like resuscitations, and and what I mean by that is, okay, so Jesus might resurrect a dead person, but that person is eventually going to die again as part of the natural course. And so in the Gospels, everybody that we see him raised from the dead, they're going to die again. And and I'm, I'm trying to distinguish that between, you know, the resurrection. It's better in that it's, it's permanent, it's eternal, at least for those who are resurrected unto life. So anyway, he says this. He goes, hey, the child's not dead, just sleeping. And they laughed at him catch that. They didn't just laugh. They laughed at him. Mm. What are we, seven? (laughs) Right? I mean, doesn't that remind you of being in a schoolyard? (laughs) Yeah. People laughing. They were laughing at him. And then you even got to wonder, were these the only people in the Galilee that didn't know who this Jesus guy was? Were they so unaware of who he was that they thought it was okay to laugh at him? I, I, he'd already done some amazing things, including raising someone from the dead. And so, you know, we might be looking at this and thinking, man, you know, that behavior. I mean, if Jesus was human like us, I bet that felt a little rough. Yeah. I bet he wasn't immune to that. Yeah. And, but then also, Jairus and his wife. Remember all that thi- all the stuff that Jairus is going through, and Jesus is saying, "No, man, just just believe, brother. Hang in there." And and then there's people are laughing at this guy. What, imagine how they're feeling. So so in the face of things like this, they needed to not fear but believe. And boy, you got to that would have to be hard. Yeah. Oh, and then go back to the story with the woman with the issue of blood, like that miracle is a little bit different than other ones that Jesus has performed, like the sending of the demons into the pigs off the cliff or healing of a leopard or resurrecting someone else from the dead previously. Like, her issue was a very concealed, a very sensitive, a very private part of her body. And, like, you were going off of her word and saying that she was healed. Um, And then you get to this point in the story... And Jairus and his wife are seeing these people laugh at Jesus. Like in my mind, the natural human reaction to to seeing that is doubt starts to creep in. Like, right? Oh no! Like, Man. were we just like fooled earlier? Like just a little bit ago with that woman? Like, is this all a big act? Like, sh- sh- like did we just waste our time? Like, what is going on? Yeah, when you. It's your daughter, and she is dead. 
is it so crazy to think that some person could be going, oh man, I hope this dude's for real. <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing. You know, whatever. Uh, yeah, that had to be, it had to be weird. Now, at the end of the bit we've read so far, just so we got the image in our head, Jesus is, he's in the house, he's with the parents, he's with Peter, James, and John, and of course, the girl, the daughter. And, uh, you know, finally, we got a little privacy. And so, uh, you ready to see what happens next? Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, Matthew, we're going to, like, do the second half of verse 25 and then verse 26 in chapter 9. Mark, chapter 5, verses 41 to 43, and Luke, chapter 8, verses 54 to 56. And you know what? I I think I'm going to read each of these because... They're, I don't know, they're kind of interesting. So Matthew, he's real short and sweet. It just says this. Uh, he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Short and simple. Luke says this. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And finally, Mark's version says this. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) Okay, so there's a lot going on in here. Uh, First, uh, you know, we had the little discussion before, gee, did this make Jesus unclean or not or whatever? And you know what? Doesn't really matter. Clean or unclean, he takes the dead girl by the hand, which is completely going to make him unclean, right? Mm-hmm. His dead body, right? So there, that, if he wasn't unclean before, he sure is now. But then he speaks to her. And, and Mark, for whatever reason, he gives us this transliterated Aramaic um, and it's so weird when I read it, it looks like it ought to be something like Talitha Kumai, right? But the places I looked said it should be pronounced Talitha Kum. Hmm. I don't know. It's kind of, I guess the I is silent. So whatever. But we saw it means girl, get up basically. Uh, and then Luke says that her spirit returned. Now he's including this to emphasize the fact that she really was dead. Remember what Jesus said? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Luke is letting you know, uh, yeah, she really was dead. Your spirit doesn't leave you while you sleep. Unless, of course, you die in your sleep. You know, whatever. Isn't, real just a quick aside, isn't there some Jewish Midrashic picture that they hold that when someone dies, their spirit, like they're immortal spirit like stays around their body for like three days or something before going to sheol yeah they do the the when you die your spirit leaves 
your physical body, and you're right, it's your immortal spirit, your your neshama, and it's supposed to linger for approximately three days to make sure you're not going to come back to life, that it wasn't some sort of accident or something. It's just a funny, funny sort of tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's important uh, when you start thinking about a couple of things, like how long was Lazarus dead? How long was Jesus supposed to have stayed in the grave, right? Those kinds of things. Uh, to let you know, look, uh, we're, we're trying to relate this to th- they're really, really, really dead. So anyway, uh, where are we at here? Uh, so she gets up and she starts walking. Now, number one, you start walking around, it's kind of hard to mistake that for still being dead. True? Unless you walk the show. <laughs> Unless you watch the show The Walking Dead. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Yeah, exactly. So naturally, the, the people, the parents, they're going to be overcome with amazement, right? I, and, and I'm sure they're extremely happy. This is all fantastic. And then it's so interesting that for whatever reason, Mark decides to include, of course, we do know why, that the girl is 12 years old. Now, Samuel, how long did that woman suffer with an issue of blood? Twelve years. And how old is this girl? She is twelve. And what did Jesus call the woman with the issue of blood when her faith had made her well? Daughter. And how? what is this twelve-year-old girl? She is Jairus's Daughter. Yeah. And what is the other, like the most famous use of the number twelve in all of the scriptures? Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. And what is happening to the woman who's been sick for 12 years and the girl who was 12 years old? They have been... They've been healed. Yeah. And so, included in this is this subtle idea of the 12 tribes of Israel also receiving their healing through Messiah. So I, I just love all these little connections here. I just think it's the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. It's good. Now, again, surprise, surprise, he charges them. No one should know about this. So here we are back in the Galilee, and now we're back to telling everybody to keep things quiet. Remember back in the Decapolis, what did he tell the guy? Go tell everybody. Tell everybody. But now back here, he's got to keep things quiet. And so you <laughs> remember Jesus set it up. Oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And so now they're going to tell the story. Hey, I heard your daughter was raised from the dead. Oh, that? Oh, (laughs) turns out she was just sleeping, you know? (laughs) Right? But, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you think of it, how weird it sounds or funny it sounds or whatever, the threat from Herod, the threat from Rome, whatever, it's all just too great back here in the Galilee, back in, you know, Israel proper. Jesus had much more to do, and he didn't want things getting out of hand too quickly. But then, weird little extra bit. He told them to give her something to eat. Okay, these Gospels, they got a lot of stuff in them. And we've talked about how, on one hand, they seem extremely dense. And on the other hand, they leave lots of room for you to think and imagine and try to understand what was going on. Does that not seem like a weird bit to include? That does seem odd. Yeah. So, This whole thing about, you know, she got up and started walking immediately, the thing where uh, give her something to eat, you know, she needs to eat. Okay, it's likely that we're trying to do a couple of things here. 
Number one, I think maybe the more obvious, we're trying to show that she's not only alive, but she has been completely restored in her health. She can walk, she can eat, she can resume, presumably, all kinds of ordinary living. So that part, that that's, we, we get that. But number two, I think this is going to go back to first century culture. And here we are building up the Jews and Israel and how awesome they can be in certain ways. And in other ways, they're going to seem, you know, it's it's a little weird to us. It's, it's, it's as if they're trying to avoid any chance for trickery. They're trying to show that this girl was actually alive and human. She wasn't a spirit. She wasn't a ghost or something like that, right? Now, again, I know that doesn't sound like we need to know something like that, but I think in this time and in this place with these people, this was actually a comforting thing. And you gotta, you gotta know this appears other places. So, uh, if you were in Luke chapter 24, verses 30 and 32, you're going to find Jesus eating bread. And if you re- it, it looks like maybe it's kind of for the same purpose. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43, Jesus is eating some fish. Kind of appears to be for a similar kind of purpose. Uh, Jesus, he ends up cooking and eating bread and fish for breakfast in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. So there's something to this about Hey, in case you're you're wondering if I'm really still a, a normal living kind of human thing, well, here, I'm going to eat for you. That ought to put all those fears to rest. And so that's what we see going on here. Yeah, and just to clarify, those passages that Paul was referencing are connecting to after Jesus had been raised from the dead. So, like, the, the, there seems to be references in the text between someone being raised from the dead and then eating food as some type of picture imagery to show that this is indeed like genuine like real life not yeah. something that's fake yeah yeah or outside of what we consider normal or any yeah. of that yeah yeah it's a it's just weird to us because we're you know 2021 whatever but to them this was a real thing it's kind of neat all right. So the the thing is now uh, we've had, you know, sort of like these sandwiched stories and all these things going on. And all of a sudden we're just moving on to some new stuff. You ready for that, Samuel? Oh, yeah. Matthew chapter nine, verses 27 to 31 says this. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. So, (laughs) people are funny. You just can't tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. So, now, the thing that's weird about this is, 
I mean, you just, we start reading right there, and the way Matthew's telling the story, you get this sense that Jesus, it's almost like he's all by himself. He's just alone. And, and I mean, we have no way of knowing. And, and later, as we keep reading, you're going to see it sure doesn't seem that way, but it's, it's just weird. The way that these little narratives get uh, strung together, sometimes you just can't tell what's going on. But anyway, I find this amazing. A couple of blind guys start following him. Well, how did they do that? Talk about blind leading the blind, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just weird. And they're continually calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, so I, let's, just, let's just be honest. Could it not be that that was kind of irritating? People following you, crying out the same thing over and over and over. I'm sure it wasn't to Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. It could have been irritating. On the other hand, so impressive. These guys are blind and they're following him. And and I, who knows? Maybe like they had some somebody helping them or something. I don't know. But notice what they said: "Have mercy on us, son of David." So we could say that they actually see better than many sighted people. They recognize that he was the Messiah. It's, I mean, son of David, clear and unambiguous title. We've talked about that. They could see it. Uh, But then, okay, so again, I'm trying to play this movie in my head. Kind of looks like Jesus is alone. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. You got blind people following him, whatever. And then it says, when he entered the house. So what, what is Jesus like? Did he, did he like duck in the house? <laughs> I mean, what is he? Are you leaving clues for the blind people? I, I don't know. It just sounds, it sounds mean, right? Play, playing hard to get. Yeah. And it doesn't say a house. It says the house. So, uh, you know, we have to guess it's probably Peter's house back in Capernaum. Again, we don't know, but whatever. We think so. So here's Jesus. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm being too silly, but it kind of looks like he's just ducking into the house you know, trying to avoid them or not. We really can't tell. But remember, they're blind. Anyway, he's not going out of his way to help them. In so many other instances, we see him so willing, so willing. These guys are like following him, chasing him down. Have mercy on us. And he's just walking and ducking in the house, whatever. It's very weird, but they persevere. And I guess maybe we should stop for a second and say, you know what? Maybe there's a little bit of a life lesson for us here. Somehow, these blind guys find their way into that place where Jesus is. Now, we're not endorsing you to go break into someone's home, Uh, but but, uh, perseverance is key. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, so after all that, and I'm, I'm just pointing out how weird some of these stories can be. So they do all this stuff, and then Jesus asks this question, do you believe... Now, after the way this whole thing was set up, that sounds a little strange to me. I mean, Samuel, in what scenario are they going to say no? It's just weird. And then what does he ask? Do you believe I am able to do this? Well, do what? Have mercy on them? Because in the story, that's all they asked for. Have mercy on us. Do you believe I'm able to do this? (laughs) Well, okay. Am I just being a little overly literal there, Samuel? 
Uh, seems a bit like hyperbole. Yeah, I'm I'm doing that on purpose. Everybody knows what they're looking for. They want to be able to see with their eyes, right? But again, the storytelling, it's weird. And it's good to notice stuff like that. It, it, it may help you see more and more things the, the, the further you get along in your reading and your study. But then he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Well, they must have had some pretty good faith because their eyes were opened. And we see, now there, there, there's this obvious connection that the gospel writers want us to see between faith and God's response. And still, because we've talked about this a lot, we know it's still difficult to grasp fully because we've seen some people have had some amazing miracles that were performed. It, the way the story's written, it's like it's due to their faith. And yet there have been other stories, equally amazing results. And yet in the story, there was no real connection made to anything about belief or faith. It, n- nothing's mentioned at all. Jesus just does it. So again, these stories should be encouraging us and motivating us to live as those who, who believe, those who have faith. Uh, just It's just not a formula. Don't let that mess you up. And then one more time, Jesus warns them to tell no one. But this time, sternly. Now, that is a strong, strong, harsh word. This was like fear-inducing, damage-causing kind of warning, right? It's sternly Mm. warning them not to tell anybody, which is, (laughs) picture that. Picture Jesus doing that. And still, they don't listen. They tell anyone who will listen. Here's poor Jesus. He just wants some obedience. <laughs> That's all he's talking about with the kingdom, man. Mm-hmm. He can't even get people to keep their mouths shut. It's just, I don't know. It's a funny picture to me. Yeah. Man, this story has been so provoking to me over the past two or three years. I've come back to it time and time again. You can take it so many different ways. Like I'm thinking about other times when people approach Jesus asking for healing and he didn't respond with this kind of questioning the person's motive. And in other stories, Jesus would just say, like, according to your faith, let it be done for you. But, I mean, we have no idea, these blind men, like, are they hearing about what Jesus is doing through the accounts of others, and they're wanting to jump onto that train, and, you know, they're giving Jesus this title because they're just, they're wanting to experience the same thing of what they've heard. And then Jesus yeah. kind of playing off of these social cues is kind of getting to the quote unquote heart of the matter and like potentially asking these two guys like, Hey, like I yeah. know what you've heard, but like ask yourself, like, do you believe that I'm capable to do this thing that you so earnestly want to experience in your life? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's such a rhetorical thing for anybody that reads that passage now. Like, And it doesn't even have to be with an expectation that some miraculous thing is going to happen. It's almost like Jesus is asking the reader, whoever it is, like, do you believe that I'm able to navigate whatever it is that's going on in your life to some course that's going to glorify 
you know, God, and it's going to bless you, like, in, like, blessing others as well. So, um, I just love this story. I think it's very, very convicting in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, Samuel, I've only got one thing to add to all that you said. Well said. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I like it. That's good. All right, let's try and sneak in one little bit before we close. This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 to 34. It says this. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Where'd they come from? No. Yeah. So, okay. So he's going along. I mean, it just seems like everywhere Jesus goes, if it's not one thing, it's another. There's a callback to Roseanne, Rosanna Dana for everybody out there that's old like me. So these blind guys leave and a demon oppressed guy shows up. And apparently, the manner in which he was, the the demon was oppressing this guy was by preventing him from speaking. So, Jesus casts out the demon. And, okay, did you notice, did he say anything about faith? Has anybody said anything about anything about anything? No, Jesus just did it. So, there's another example. Just goes back and forth. Uh, Another side note, you know, we we, today, we often try to make a distinction between oppression and possession. Yeah, I was just about to ask, was there a difference with the usage of this word? Yeah, I, I think in this time and in this place and with these people, no. They just really don't care. Uh, and and I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be so bold with that. The point is, they all get cast out. And so, even though they might say the word oppression, they're still going to cast it out. And so, there's a real blur there. In in their day, right? So we we make more of a distinction than they did. But anyway, the demon's gone. The man can now speak. And so the crowds marveled. Well, wait a second. It was reading like he was alone before, and now there's crowds, right? So there's another example. It just, the narrative, it's, it's, it's kind of choppy. It's kind of weird. But anyway, we still think he's around Peter's house. Now all of a sudden we got this crowd. And this, of course, we saw that during the parables. That was another weird thing about how they went back and forth. But it's a, it's a really good indicator that, you know, if you've got this image in your head that Matthew or any of the other three guys sat down and they just started writing and they compiled this thing and they went top to bottom and it was a, it probably didn't work like that. The gospel, it's it's probably connecting chunks assembled fragments, right? People trying to put them in the right order. Matthew would have been the source, but it doesn't mean that this was exactly the way Matthew wrote the whole thing. And so it's going to feel a little weird at times like that. It may be in chronological order, or it may not. Just depends on the section. Uh, The point is, you just kind of got to go with the flow. We're trying to present you the chronological view, and so we're skipping all around the Gospels. But it's also beneficial to go and read the Gospels front to back. 
because sometimes the stories are told out of sequence on purpose because the stories actually enhance one another. They don't care about this this chronological sequence. So anyway, that's another thing. And then there's this phrase, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Now, what's weird about that is because, again, we've been trying to go in chronological order. And so that there's nothing even close to correct about, about that. We've seen demons cast out. I mean, we did the thousands, legion. Uh, we've seen dead people raised, all of this. So, I mean... Why would they say this here? Oh, maybe our ordering isn't correct, or, 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 or you know what? Maybe just the particular group of people that we're talking about right here at this moment, well, maybe they haven't seen anything like this. I, you know what? kind of doesn't really matter. We get the sentiment. They are marveling, and they're expressing this the best way that they know how. And so... It had to be pretty amazing. I mean, you got to admit, if you were around, even if you'd seen it before, it's got to be amazing every single time, right? But more than that, we might be alluding back to Moses, whether the people saying it meant that or the way Matthew's writing it or whatever. But at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 10 to 12, it says that none had arisen like Moses. and so. They hadn't seen anything like this in Israel. Well, wait, wait. Uh, what, Moses never got to go into the land. Moses did all these amazing things, but it was all outside of Israel. That's cool. And now you've got this Messiah in Israel and people probably thinking that he's the prophet like Moses. Mm. And so it, none had risen alike him. And so, so they say never was anything like this seen in Israel, right? So you can kind of see the connections there. I just think that's super cool. And then weirdness of weirdnesses, the Pharisees, they like show up out of nowhere. It, we should be clear. This isn't all Pharisees. This is just some. Some Pharisees were really fans of Jesus. We've talked about that a number of times. But Wow. Talk about wet blankets. And Jesus, you know, he's going to get at this later. Uh, you've probably maybe heard something about the story, like a kingdom divided against itself can't stand, that kind of thing. For now, though, this is just a vivid image of people refusing to see what is before them. Now, when I'm talking about other people, that probably sounds good and true and right, but we turn this around back, like put the mirror on ourselves. This is also very similar to the way we only see what we want to see. And we all do it. Don't be too judgmental. We do this stuff all the time with all kinds of things. And including maybe, maybe even especially we do this when we're talking about what we believe, our theology and our doctrines. So, be careful. Don't be like these guys. They didn't want him to be the Messiah. He didn't fit their mold. They didn't want him to be the one who was faithfully delivering God's message because it didn't match their message. So if he wasn't on God's team, well, what are you left with, Samuel? Whose team are you going to say he's on? The enemy. That's right. He must be in cahoots with the Satan. Yeah. The Satan. So there you go. I, I really like 
what you said right here about the Pharisees. I think it it humanizes them a lot more and hopefully will give listeners a better sense of empathy on their response instead of just automatically discrediting what they're saying. Yeah. Because like one of the things that just came up in my mind is like, I mean, it happens all the time within people inside the church or the assembly, whatever you want to insert your description there. And then those that are outside of it, like those who are on the outside see people who are in the faith, experiencing fruit and goodness and growth. And then they'll say like, that's not real. Like they're just using this system in order to better themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing like spiritual or transcendent going on. And then on the other token, some people within the church will look at those who aren't believers and walking in the faith, like doing good things, promoting philanthropy and charity. And they're like, well, that's not real. Like since they're not a, a Jesus follower, all that is like built on false pretenses and it, it, it's just all a big act or show. But it like, I think the unbiased view should be like God works in both of those aspects, like yeah. within the assembly and he showcases his attributes to those who aren't in relationship to, to invite them in, to be on his team. So I, I, just, I just think what you said is really good. Yeah. What you said was really good. It's, uh, we have such a propensity to be prideful and arrogant and to be completely blind to it. We're just good at it. All yeah. of us, you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, this is good stuff. Well, you know what? People can spend, oh, go ahead. You were going to say no, something. No, I was just going to say it reminds me of Jesus's parable about the tares and the wheat. Like we shouldn't yeah. be busy trying to pluck out the weeds among the wheat because we might accidentally pull good things out <laughs> in the process. That's right. That's right. Well, I say that we give people about a week to think about all this stuff while we get the heck out of here. Oh, yeah. Lots to wrestle with. Let's do it. All right. Let's cut it off right here. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And we would love it if you leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at our website on www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please feel free to send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See you all next week.